So we're going to jump into this, uh, this sermon. Uh, we're in a series right now called David, Flawed Human, Holy God. Okay, so this is a, a multi-week series, and we're working through the life of David, okay? And, and David is one of the people in the scriptures that there's more written about him than any other biblical character, and he's got some incredible moments of encounter with God, but then he's got some horrible moments where he's done, he's done horrendous things, and he's not somebody we should be celebrating, and he's got kind of the extremes. Uh, and he's this very flawed human being, but he encounters a holy God. And so in the story of David, we see over and over again, we've got this holy, awesome, powerful, perfect, loving God, and he's got this relationship with David, and David's got his ups and downs, um, but through the life of David, we learn a lot about who God is and then what it's like to just connect with God and relate with Him. And so if you're somebody this morning and you've got some lows in your life, or, or maybe you, know, you sit in a place like this and you feel maybe unworthy or whatever the case may be, David's story is encouraging because we see this flawed person and then his encounter with God. And through those encounters, we actually learn a lot about um, not only what God was like then, but what He's like right now. And so today, it's interesting, it's Father's Day, and the, uh, the story that we're going to look at is David and Jonathan, and we're going to focus in on friendship. And, and I really believe that what we're going to look at today is going to be an encouragement to all of us. Uh, we're going to look at the friendship of David and Jonathan. But you've, you've got to know, uh, today's Father's Day, and the, the dad in this story is just not a good example of a dad, okay? So Jonathan's dad, Saul, okay, we're going to be jumping into this story where, where Saul is the king of Israel, and he's Jonathan's dad. And so the focus of today's message is the friendship of David and Jonathan, but there's this really flawed earthly father in this story, like really flawed. He's maniacal, he's murderous, he's hateful, um, he's, he's extreme. He's on the one hand, you see Saul sometimes, he's blessing David, he's loving his son Jonathan, and then the other hand, he literally tries to kill both Jonathan and David. He has these moments of just rage where you, <clears throat> you read the story and, and Saul will be overcome with this evil spirit and he'll take his spear and he hurls it at, at, the, like, at David a couple times. David evades it and the spear sticks in the wall. He does the same thing to Jonathan. Like he's this crazy father figure um, but the reason this is fitting for today, and I didn't plan it this way, um, but ju- I just love how God does this. I, I, as a dad, okay, so you know if, if anybody knows me, my wife and I, Vicki, have six kids. I actually love it when my kids get along with each other, okay? Like, I just think that is awesome, right? Um, and if you're a parent today, you know that it brings you great joy when you see your children getting along and just loving each other, Right? Uh, and this story today is an example. There's, I don't think there's a better example in the scriptures of friendship than the friendship we're going to look at today between David and Jonathan. And so God is this heavenly father who's got these two children, David and Jonathan. And what you're going to see in David and Jonathan's friendship, I believe, is a friendship that just brings joy to the heart of God. Okay, so the, the friendship between David and Jonathan, they're both children of God. They both love God. They both follow Him. They have a flawed earthly father in Saul. But the friendship between them, I believe, just brings joy to the heart of God. And one of the things we pray, so you'll notice every week before we start our service, we get the team up here and we pray. 
Uh, and one of the things that consistently I find myself praying on a Sunday morning before we start is I'm just like, I'm just aware of like, God is, He's our Father, right? If you're a follower of Jesus today, God's our, our Father. And, and one of the things I find myself consistently praying is I'm like, God, I pray that in our service today, that the way we interact with you and then with each other would just bring joy to your heart. Because when I look around this room, I see like we're, we're God's children. If you're a follower of Jesus today, you're God's children. And I just think of like the perspective of God where he, he looks at us. We gather here at Transformation Church to worship him and then to love on each other. And I think if we love him with authenticity and then we share that love amongst each other, I just think it brings joy to the heart of God. In the same way that a dad is filled with joy when his children are loving each other, when we love each other, when we love our father well and we love each other well, it just brings joy to the heart of God. So we're going to jump into this story. Um, let me just pray before we do. Um, I really uh, have a really strong point in here that uh, this week in particular, I just had a real sense when I was studying uh, that this, this was going to resonate with some people uh, and may change your outlook and how you relate with other people in a good way, in a positive way. And uh, so my prayer is that we'll hear him this morning. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for just the opportunity to, to get up and, and read your word and then to talk about what it means for us today. Lord, we, we're reading a story that happened 3,500 years ago. Uh, but Lord, the, the emphasis, the thrust of the story is, is you and what you did. And you never change. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're, you're the same uh, God 3,500 years ago and all the way to today, 2023 in Thunder Bay. And so, Lord, I just pray that as we read this story, we'd hear you. You'd challenge our hearts afresh, Lord. You'd challenge our hearts with what it means to be uh, in a friendship that honors you, to be friends that honor you, Lord. Just let us hear you, and, and may we be pointed to Jesus uh, as we go to your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So before I read, we're going to read, if you want to turn, if you have a Bible, you can, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18, uh, or you can follow along. It'll be on the screen in a minute. Uh, but before we do, so the, the focus today is, is friendship, and I just want to, I want you to just answer the question in your mind, okay, or, or just kind of like leave the question there and let it roll around a little bit in your head and your heart, okay, but what is it that makes a good friend, okay, so I just want you to think about that, like, what would you define as a good friend, what, what, what comes to mind when you think of friendship, uh, or if you were to describe a friendship, what would it be uh, that would, would make a good friend? And I just want to give you an example, and, and sometimes I think examples from culture are helpful, and, and I know sometimes people struggle when I use like cultural examples or examples from a movie, um, but I just want to put forward to you that um, if your eyes are open to who God is, you just start to see Him everywhere. And there's sometimes where I'll be, I'll be watching something or I'm listening to a song and, and the person singing it or the movie itself, is not a, it's not Christian necessarily. But the scriptures tell us in Ecclesiastes that like eternity is in the heart of every single man and woman. Like there's this longing, even in people that don't know God, there's a longing to know Him. They don't fully realize it. And so I, I just see themes everywhere. And so I was getting ready for this, this sermon on friendship and thinking about David and Jonathan and I was thinking about one of my favorite fictional characters. His name is Sherlock Holmes. Anybody know who Sherlock Holmes is? You guys all know Sherlock Holmes? Okay. Um, I've read some of the actual Sherlock Holmes uh, books um, and, and some of the movies that come out about Sherlock. And, and you know, I don't know if you've noticed this. If you're not a Sherlock fan, you'll, you'll not know until I tell you this, but it'll, it'll make sense if you ever get 
into Sherlock. But Sherlock is a, is a narcissist. Do you guys know what a narcissist is? You understand what a narcissist like is? A narcissist is a person that is totally self-focused. The only person that that person thinks about is themselves, their needs, their desires, what they're doing. So in every depiction of Sherlock, whether you've seen the movies uh, or read the books, it's like Sherlock is this, he's this narcissist, okay? He's so self-focused. He's focused on himself all the time. And then you've got Watson, okay? And, and in, the, in the Sherlock universe, okay, in the stories, Watson is Sherlock's best friend. And, and Sherlock cannot function without Watson. So when you're watching it, and the reason people love Sherlock is because he's brilliant, and, and he's just got this memory where he can literally remember everything, and he can make people look like a fool on a, uh, you know, if he wants to. And so people are drawn to his intelligence and his brilliance. But nobody's really close to Sherlock except for this person, Watson, right? And Watson, he's like, he's an actual good friend. Watson um, is a doctor who gives up his medical practice to go and become friends with Sherlock. And, and Sherlock could not function if not for Watson. And the friendship in this relationship is just beautiful. One of my favorite depictions, there's a, there's a show with Sherlock where they actually make Watson a girl. And it's interesting because in most shows and movies, um, you get a guy and a girl together and, and romance happens and that's kind of the focus. But in this, uh, in this show with where Watson's a girl, like, there's no romantic interest. It's just this friendship. And I remember watching it and thinking, like, there's just, there was beauty in it because there was a genuine love for the other without a self-interest coming from Watson, okay, not from Sherlock. And it reminds me of what we're going to find out in David and Jonathan. And here's the, here's the challenge I want to give you as we read this story. Okay, as we talk about friendship, you are going to be tempted to think, I wish I had a friend like that. Okay? People are lonely. If you do studies on friendships, you'll find out that past college age, people struggle to have a friendship, like a really good friend that they can trust, they can relate with, that they can just do life with. Like, friendship is something that most people in our society, in our culture, deeply struggle with. And you're going to, as we get into this today, you're going to find yourself saying, I, I wish I had a friend like that. And, and what I want to encourage you as we look into this, this scripture and then we talk about it, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer, Lord, please help me to be a friend like Jonathan. So instead of listening to this and going, oh, I, just, I wish I had a friend like that, ask God to help you to become a friend like what we're going to talk about, right? There's a, I'll put a slide up. Yeah, don't go looking for a friend like Jonathan. Rather, ask God to help you become a friend like Jonathan. So you'll see why that's important. I'm gonna, I'll bring that slide back up later. So 1 Samuel chapter, one, or chapter 18, verses 1 to 9, says this, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. I'm going to read the rest of this passage, but I just the way that the scriptures word this is absolutely beautiful. So you've got David and Jonathan, and I'll explain a little bit of who they are in a minute, okay? They become friends, and, and Jonathan is the son of the king, okay? So Saul is the king of Israel. David has just defeated Goliath. He's just starting to come into uh, public knowledge. He's, he's, he's starting to be known, um, but he's kind of a no-name. Saul is this, this massive figure. He's this king. He's got all kinds of influence and big reputation, 
and Jonathan is his son, okay? So the son of the king, Jonathan, becomes friends with David, and it says that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. It's this deep, profound love. And Saul took him that day, and he's talking with David, Saul took him, David, that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And and catch this, this is important. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, and he gave it to David and his armor, and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. And this was their song, okay? So you can imagine, you're Saul, you're the king. Saul, and, and what you'll find out about him, he's a very insecure man. So insecure people are really intimidated whenever anybody else is praised or talked good about. Okay, so Saul's this, he's this king, he's got all the power, but he's very insecure. He's not sure who he is. He tries to hold on to power, whatever means necessary. So he's walking in, he's got David, he's so proud. David just defeated Goliath, and Jonathan's there, and they're friends, and so Saul's got this really proud moment. And then the women come out, and they start singing this song. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Right? They're just like, oh, Saul, he's struck down thousands of people. But David, he struck down tens of thousands, and they're singing this song. Okay? And so Saul is starting to get even more insecure. Saul was very angry, it says, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. So you see Saul's insecurity. So, he's, so David has just uh, been victorious over Goliath. He's just taken a stand for God. He's defeated Goliath. Saul should be elated. But as soon as he sees the attention of the people shift over to David, he becomes really jealous. And he asks the question, well, what more can David have than the kingdom? What Saul doesn't know, there's a little bit of dramatic irony happening here. We know, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, and the, and the text points it out, We know that God sent Samuel, the prophet, to anoint David while David was still a boy, and and he did it in secret. We talked about that, okay? So God let Samuel be a little bit secretive because Samuel was like, well, if I go anoint David to be the next king, Saul will kill me. And so God says to Samuel, well, just go and and, and offer a sacrifice, and that'll distract everybody from what you're really there for, and, and nobody will know, right? So Samuel goes and does that. He anoints David, this boy who everybody had forgotten about, we talked about that, to be the next king of Israel, okay? So we all know that. There's a little bit of dramatic irony going on, but very few people at this point in the story know that David has been anointed by God's prophet to be the next king, okay? So it's it's, it's unknown. So then, but, but Saul, okay, this insecure king, what he does know is that this prophet Samuel prophesied to him. He said, Saul, God is gonna rip the kingdom from you because you've disobeyed God. Okay, so that was another event we didn't talk about. It's earlier on in the text. You can go check it out and read it. But after Saul had been a king and had done some cool things for God, he actually disobeyed God in a deliberate way. And God said to him, he said, I'm going to rip the kingdom from your hands and I'm going to give it to somebody else who will please me, will be obedient to me. 
So, so Saul knew in his mind and heart, God's going to raise somebody up, but he was trying to ignore that, so he's, this, he's insecure, right? And so he starts seeing this young boy, David, coming into prominence, and people are recognizing him, and the women are singing his praises, and Saul just gets really insecure, and, and he's kind of freaked out by it. So after this, and I'm not going to read the whole section, but if you want to read chapters 18, 19, and 20, um, in the email I sent out on Friday, I encouraged, encouraged us to read that. If you haven't, I would encourage you to go read it. But immediately after this section, okay, so in these next three chapters, Saul tries to kill David six, six times, okay? Three of them are spontaneous. Saul has this, like, sudden rage come over him, and he throws a spear at David, and David evades it. And then the other three attempts on David's life, Saul actually hires mercenaries, assassins, to go and kill David. And David is protected by Jonathan, Saul's son, and then also by Michael, Saul's daughter. Okay, so God is preserving him. But there's six attempts on David's life. And so sometimes we look at the story of David and we think, oh, what, a, what an incredible story. God raised him up. He killed Goliath. It was awesome. But you've got to realize, like, David was anointed to be the next king. And then he goes, he defeats Goliath. He, he gets some favor. Things are going well. But he's... He's not well-known in the kingdom. He's not, he doesn't have any protection in place over his life. And so he goes through this season where the king, the most powerful man in Israel, is trying to kill him. It's a dark moment. Anybody ever had six attempts on your life in only three chapters? Anybody here? Anybody had like a spear hurled at you and you just kind of evaded it, right? Like not many of us have experienced that. So you've got to imagine, David, he must be wrestling with like, God, God said to him he'd be the next king, and now he's got the king trying to kill him. And it wouldn't have only been Saul. Saul hired mercenaries, assassins, to go and try to eradicate David from planet Earth. And so David's on the run. You've got to imagine, like, what were his prayers like? If you want to know, read Psalms. They're pretty vulnerable and raw. There's times where he calls out to God, like, God, where are you? David has this very real relationship with God. He's got this promise in his heart. God had told him, you're going to be the next king. And now the guy that is the king is after him, trying to kill him. So it's a really dark time filled with despair. Saul is after him. Saul is filled with insecurity. But Jonathan, through this drama, okay, through these three chapters, Jonathan is David's rock. The scriptures tell us Jonathan's soul was knit to the soul of David. There was, this, there was this rich, deep, profound friendship. You know what's interesting about Jonathan is that Jonathan has got everything to lose in this friendship and nothing to gain. You realize that? This friendship, the reason it's so beautiful is because Jonathan, he recognizes something in David. He sees something special. He sees, he sees like God's favor on David. He sees, he sees that David is this like chosen person by God, and Jonathan, he's the heir to the throne. Realize that? Like, J- Jonathan, if he's going to go be friends with David, he's got everything to lose. He's the next rightful king. If he plays his cards right, he's the next king. When Saul is ready to move on and, and, and be gone and die, Jonathan is the one that's going to rise to the throne. And what does Jonathan do here? And, and the reason I wanted to point out verse 4 to you Jonathan takes off his belt, his robe, his armor, and he gives it to David. 
Remember the story we talked about last week? Remember when David was about to go and fight against Goliath? What did Saul try to give David? Anyone remember? His armor, right? And so this, this, this wicked king tries to give David this, this armor, and David puts it on, and he says, oh, it doesn't feel right, and he gives it back. But symbolically, what's happening here, then you've got Jonathan, the son of Saul, and he takes his armor off and he gives it to David. And that armor was representative of, of being heir to the throne, right? And so, so Jonathan has everything to lose in his friendship with David. David. David's got everything to gain in this friendship. Jonathan's got everything to lose. And Jonathan sees something in David, and Jonathan decides to become a friend to David that I believe is mightily used by God. Listen to uh, Saul's words to his son Jonathan, because Saul sees this friendship happening, and he is angry at, at Jonathan. And I just hope, you know, I'm going to read these words to you. You can put this up, Andrew, on the screen. Um, first, first Samuel chapter 20, uh, hopefully Saul's ex-wife, I'm assuming she was, wasn't there when he says this. So Saul, the king, says to his son, he says, Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman. I was like reading that this week in preparation. I'm like, I wonder if she was standing there, right? Like with her son, Jonathan, right? And, and, and Saul, the king, he's like, You son of a perverse woman, right? Um, Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth... Neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. So Saul is unequivocal in his position. He's like, David needs to die. And, he, and he's angry at his son Jonathan for befriending David. But for some reason, Jonathan like knits his soul to David. He becomes this friend to David that I believe... God uses in a profound way in David's life. So Eugene Peterson, um, I read a a chapter that he wrote about this section of Scripture, and uh, this is what he says about friendship. This will be on the screen. He says, friendship is a much underestimated aspect of spirituality. It's every bit as significant as prayer and fasting. I just want you to think about that for a second. You know, we... As Jesus followers, we think often about how important it is to pray, how somebody was sharing this morning in our prayer time that God's challenged, challenged him to start a fast. You know, it's a really spiritual thing to do. And we know when we pray, we read the scriptures, we fast, like we get close to God. But do you know that one of the main ways God reveals himself to people is through friendship? Did you ever think of that? Like, I just want you to think about it in your own life. Some of the, some of the darkest moments you've been through some of the times where you've faced some of the biggest struggles, and just think about the friendships that were there with you. Maybe, maybe they weren't even reading the Bible or explicitly talking about Jesus, but they were just there with you, and it got you through some of those really dark times. I'm going to ask for like a show of hands. How many of us here today have been through a dark time, a difficult time, and when, we, when you fought back to it, there's a name that's come to mind and you've said, if it wasn't for so-and-so, I don't know how I would have gotten through that time. Anybody relate with that? Anybody? Okay. It's a lot of us. I'm convinced that God uses friendship to save people from darkness, despair, depression, and death. 
Friendship is, is one of the means God uses to actually save people from, from the darkest darkness, the deepest despair. Proverbs 27, verse 6. I just want to read a couple scriptural passages that specifically talk about friendship. It says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. You know, a good friend isn't afraid to wound. They're not afraid to say something to you that might be hurtful. And if they're a good friend, there's no self-interest in what they're saying. They genuinely love you. You know, so enemies flatter us, kiss us, tell us the things we want to hear, but they're not there for us in the dark times. But a good friend, they'll say something to you that might actually be hurtful, might sting a little bit, but the desire isn't to, to get one over on you, to make you feel bad, to, to make themselves feel good. Their desire is because they genuinely love you. If it's a good friendship, if it's what we're seeing here in 1 Samuel, the, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Proverbs 18, 24, I'll read it in two versions because uh, there's, there's a little bit of a, a different translation um, depending on the version you read. It says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. In the NIV, it says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You can have all kinds of acquaintances, people that you know, but it's not necessarily going to get you through the difficult times. But if you've got a friend who sticks closer than a brother, if you've got a friend like Jonathan, that friend will get you through some of the darkest times. And, and friendship is one of the ways God uses to draw us close to Him, to give us encouragement and hope in times of difficulty and despair. The, the friendship between David and Jonathan is something that just impacts me deeply because I'm more challenged by Jonathan than I am by David because David benefited greatly from this friendship he had with Jonathan. Jonathan sacrificed a lot to have a friendship with David. Jonathan's friendship was selfless. It was sacrificial. It was others-focused. It was, it was deep. It was rich. It was profound. It's a beautiful picture of friendship. And in David's darkest moments, we see God sending him, Jonathan, to be his friend. Jonathan had everything to lose. I, uh, I don't often say, thus says the Lord, and I'm not going to say it this morning, but uh, I'm going to come close to it, okay? I was getting ready uh, to, to preach this sermon this week, and, and this doesn't happen to me all the time, but I was sitting in my office, and I was getting ready, and I just, like, I had this sense of God's presence, and I, I knew that I was going to be talking about this beautiful friendship between David and Jonathan, and I just had this sense, I, I, I felt like the Lord was saying that as I talk about this, many of us in the room are going to think, I wish I had a friend like Jonathan. And what I really want to get across to us today, what I believe the Lord is saying, and you can put this slide up again, it's, I had it up already, don't go looking for a friend like Jonathan, rather ask God to help you become a friend like Jonathan. Don't go looking for that friend. So a lot of us, 
when we hear this, are going to be tempted to to be self-focused. I wish I had a friend like that. You know, it was pointed out to me, and I've I've shared this before, but um, Princess Diana and Mother Teresa, you know, they died right around the same time. Like it was, I don't know if it was the same day, but it was like right around the, the same time that Princess Di and Mother Teresa died. And, and the whole world, for the most part, maybe, maybe you're here in the room and you're not going to relate with this, but, but everybody wants to be Princess Diana, right? This beautiful person who's royal and rich and everybody's kind of fallen at your feet. But, but nobody can be Princess Diana by choice. Like nobody in this room could just go and sign up and be Princess Diana, right? Mother Teresa... She's another just massive figure that had a massive impact on the world. But you know that any one of us can be like Mother Teresa. You ever think of that before? Like these two women, they died around the same time, and, and they're, they're both celebrated. They both had a huge impact, right? But nobody can go and just decide to be a princess die. But Mother Teresa, what she did was she just, she gave up her life in service for other people. She's a lot like Jonathan, she was a good friend to people who were on the verge of death, people that had been ostracized, people that were shoved aside, right? And any one of us can go and become like that. And in this story, in, in most of the stories we look at in David's life, you're going to relate with David. You're going to feel like, man, I'm kind of like him. Maybe in the past couple of weeks, you've related with some things. But, but I want to put this forward to us today that in, the, in this specific story between David and Jonathan, you and I can't really relate with David. I don't think anybody here is going to be heir to the, the throne, okay? <laughs> Especially the throne, the monarchy right now, what was it, like 70 years um, that the queen was in power and we just changed, and so, uh, you know, the, that, that job opening is not really available at this point, okay? I don't think anybody here in this room, like the job opening to be the next king uh, is, is not, not really available. David David was the the anointed of God to be the next king of Israel. That's very rare. There's not many people in this room that that have that kind of future, you know, to be that that kind of king. But what Jonathan did, all of us can do. All of us can go and be a good friend to somebody as the Holy Spirit leads and guides. And what I want to say to you, and a lot of you put your hands up, God uses friendship in the darkest moments of our lives to help. It's as significant as, as prayer and fasting. God uses friendship to communicate who He is, to, to bring encouragement, to be there in the dark times. And the challenge I have, you can put that slide back up, Andrew, is don't go looking for a friend like Jonathan. Rather, ask God to help you become a friend like Jonathan. And, and here's how I want to close this. Um, Jonathan points us to Jesus. You know, there was another heir to the throne that took off his robe, that took off his kingly attire to come and be friends with those that didn't deserve it, with those that are on the verge of death. It's Jesus. Like, you ever, the, the, the picture of Jonathan, like, it's so beautiful in Scripture. Jonathan points us to Jesus. What Jonathan did for David, it, 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 was, it was great, it was beautiful, helped David, but it actually points to what Jesus Christ was going to do for all of us. Jesus comes, he's the, he's the king of the universe. He's got, he's got glory everywhere. He, like, he, he is everything, right? The Scriptures tell us in Colossians, like, everything is for him and through him and by him. Like, he's the king. He's everything. He takes all that off to come and be with you and I in our darkest, most difficult moments. Jonathan actually points us to Jesus. 
Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 13. He says, he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jonathan, he died fighting with his father, this corrupt king, Saul. Jonathan did not fight for the throne. He actually, he died and, and he knew he had given that up. He had given his kingly garments to David prophetically. He'd given that up. It points to Jesus. Jesus, in a greater way, Jonathan just points to someone greater. In a greater way, Jesus, Jesus he says, that greater love is known this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Do you know that there's someone who is the king of the universe, who's seen you in your darkest, most difficult moments and the moments of despair, and he laid it all down so that you could be made right with God, so that your life could be totally changed and transformed. A couple verses later, Jesus says this to his followers. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. A little bit different in the story between our friendship with Jesus uh, in, in comparison to, to Dave and Jonathan. Dave and Jonathan, they had Saul as the earthly father who was absolutely corrupt. But Jesus, okay, he, he comes and he reveals himself to you and I as our friends, and he's, and he's saying, and I want to invite you into the relationship with my father, the perfect one. You know what was just absolutely revolutionary and, and, and life-altering for the disciples is that after Jesus had spent three years with them and revealed to them who, who he was, he said, you, you don't have to, to, to be afraid to come into the presence of God anymore. You can actually enter into the presence of God. And, and when God looks at you, he's going to see you the exact way he sees me. For, for all of human history up until that point, people are afraid to get near God because God is holy. He is perfect. And humans are, are not. We're, we've rebelled against God. We've rejected Him. We've chosen sin. And so there's this separation. And, and God is always working to get close, and sin separates. And then Jesus comes, and He lives this perfect life, and He invites us into this friendship with Him. He lays down His life. He says, if you put your trust in me, if you put your faith in me, your sins are taken away. And then when God sees you, he sees you the same way he sees me. Do you know that this morning? Like that when Jesus, uh, what he did means that you are viewed by God the same way Jesus is viewed by God if you've invited Christ into your life. I don't know today if you've surrendered your life to Christ, if you've, if you've trusted what he's done, but there is no greater love story in, in the entire universe than what Christ has done for you and I. And that's the gospel. Like Jesus came and he revealed to us who he is. He gave up his life and he invites us into this relationship with God. And he says, if you, if you trust me, if you believe in me, I'll, I'll forgive you of your sins and you can be made right with God. He, he is who Jonathan points to. And so there's two things today I just want to, to, to leave us with. I'm going to invite the band to come up. We're going to close with a couple songs. Uh, maybe you've not surrendered your life to Jesus. And, and I just encourage you, don't leave today without doing that. Uh, if you want to come up during these last couple songs, the altar's open. And if you want to come and pray, love to pray with you. If, if God is just moving on your heart and you know you've not surrendered your life to Christ, come and, come and pray with one of us today. We'd love to do that. But secondly, and I want to put this slide on the, on the stage, on the screen one more time, Andrew. If you're a follower of Jesus and you've, you've struggled with friendship, 
And maybe you hear this and you're just tempted to go, I just wish I had a friend like that. I believe the, the message today that the Lord wants us to hear is that like, don't go looking for that friend, a friend like Jonathan. Rather, ask God to help you become that friend. Don't put the expectation on others to be that, but ask God, say, God, help me to become that kind of a friend, a friend who, who loves someone else, even at my own expense, who celebrates somebody else's victories, even if I'm not having any victories. That's what I love about Jonathan. Jonathan was like, he just genuinely loved David, even though he knew that it would mean he might be forgotten. Jonathan never got to be king. He doesn't have this crazy story in Scripture of, of like, ruling and, and having a significant impact on, the, on the, the nation of Israel because he saw somebody else and decided to befriend them and love them and celebrate them. Can we do that? Like, can, we ce- can we celebrate and love somebody else who maybe they're even greater than us? Maybe they've got more blessings. Maybe God just seems to bless them more. And, like, can we come alongside of somebody and just pray for them and love them and encourage them in their difficult times and their dark moments? Like, that's an incredible love. And God uses that in people's lives in life-altering ways. He uses friendship in profound ways. And so may that be our prayer. So those are the two things. If, if you've not surrendered your life to Christ, I encourage you to come and do that. And if God has challenged you with, with this friendship, ask Him to help you to become this kind of a friend. Let's sing these last couple songs.